If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. Two happy parents, four stepchildren and one well-loved daughter between them. They were the Brady Bunch of Puyallup, Washington. He was a great father. She was the loving housewife. This appeared to be a perfect life. Until the faithful husband and father disappears without a trace. You're thinking he would never do this. He would never just leave. Will a devastating discovery bring a tragic end to this missing persons case? He stopped his car, went and looked, and saw uh, a vehicle down an embankment. Why would somebody pour bleach on a victim of a hijacking? As questions swirl, investigators must ask themselves, how had this devoted family man found himself in harm's way? And was this picture-perfect family hiding a more scandalous secret? What is going on in his life that would want somebody to hurt him? Drugs, gambling, money, is this a love triangle gone bad? It didn't make sense to us that uh, a husband would allow another man to move his belongings into his house. I think everyone looked at him as being the primary suspect. There's a very strong possibility she was having an affair. I don't even really remember what I did. I just remember a lot of screaming and crying. March 23, 2006, Puyallup, Washington. 39-year-old Angela Ferguson arrives at the Pierce County Sheriff's Department, holding a stack of homemade flyers with a picture of her husband, 45-year-old Randy Ferguson. Here's this, you know, good photo. The information had the vehicle information, his information, date of birth, and uh, what he was wearing. Angela tells police that her husband had disappeared on March 22nd, the previous evening. Angela Ferguson first told us that they'd had an argument. They'd been arguing about things that day and that he stormed out. Sometimes when they would get in a fight, Randy would just take, take a drive and then he would be gone for like an hour and come back. 
However, Angela says that this time, Randy hadn't come back home. And when Angela called his immediate family, they hadn't heard from him either. She said he was missing, and it was just confusing. And I was like, what do you mean? We lived like three or four minutes away from each other. So missing, I, I guess that just stands out. It just was like a bad movie. Pierce County detectives agree to take the case, but Angela is way ahead of them. People may believe that the police aren't doing enough, so they want to, you know, do a little extra. My mom called his phone. She talked to a newspaper. My sister and my aunt were putting out flyers, missing person flyers, and she was calling his friends, his work, um, his family. You never expect something like that in your personal circle of friends. Angela Phillips was born in September of 1966 into a strict military household. Though her family moved around for most of her childhood, they eventually settled in Fort Lewis, Washington, just in time for Angela to start high school. There, she fell in love with fellow student Claude Waltz III. Though they never married, the couple quickly got pregnant in 1984. After daughter Lisa Marie was born, three more children followed, twins Claude IV and Kristen in 1987, and son Burl in 1988. Then, tragedy struck the young family when Burl started having health problems. My dad, he doesn't like hospitals and stuff, and so I think that the stress of him not being a big support for my mom, they used to fight a lot. By the time Burl's health improved in 1997, Claude had moved to Puyallup, Washington, and Angela had married a new man. However, Angela's rebound relationship proved to be a mistake. They were splitting up, and my mom sent us down with my dad so we would be safe. After divorcing her ex, Angela joined her kids in Puyallup, a peaceful town outside of Tacoma. I think the Pacific Northwest area in general is a great place to raise a family. It's kind of known as a family destination. A lot of families live here because they can afford to buy a house in a nice neighborhood. Even with her ex Claude helping out when he could, Angela still struggled to feed and house her brood in a modest duplex, especially as her kids entered high school. My mom was a really strong person, and when we were growing up, she showed us just she didn't depend on anybody. A lot of our life, it was just her and us four kids. Then, in 2000, while picking up her mail at her mailbox, Angela, who was then 34 years old, struck up a conversation with her neighbor, Lisa Moore. She was just very boisterous and just happy and just over the top with everything. And I would talk to her at the mailbox, just, hey, how are you doing? And kind of got to know each other a little bit. When talk turned to men, Lisa Moore mentioned her brother, 40-year-old Randy Ferguson. He was a machinist for Boeing, and he worked there for almost 17 years. And he lived in like a Fonzie uh, apartment above uh, some people's garage and uh, just saved all his money. Just a simple life. His family was very important. He was close with his sisters. Um, you know, he would have dinner with them every Sunday. He was such a family-oriented person. We just knew he'd be such a great catch. Lisa explained to Angela that this was why she was stunned that her brother had never found the right woman. He was a family guy, and he just wanted a family of his own. He was 
40 years old, and he, he wanted that more than anything. I had told her what a wonderful person he was and how much he loved his family and what a wonderful husband that he would be. We wanted him to find love. For Angela, Randy sounded like exactly the type of man she wanted to meet. She just really wanted me to introduce her to Randy, so I invited her up for a barbecue at my house. When my mom first met Randy, she was really attracted to him, and she thought he was really nice. They went for a walk, which I thought was funny because my brother <laughs> wouldn't walk anywhere. <laughs> and she got him to go for a walk. And then they came back, and I believe they were like holding hands. After that night, Randy and Angela were inseparable. Randy had never been married, didn't do a lot of dating, I understand. And so uh, he was enamored with her. He was spending a lot of time down at the duplex. I'd go down there and see him with her. I mean, she was always hanging all over him, <laughs> you know, which for sisters kind of uncomfortable. You know, it's like get a room or something. But he was clearly smitten and happy with her. For Randy, the fact that Angela already had four children was a draw, not a downside. Here, he's in a relationship with a woman that has four kids, but I thought he embraced it fine. He wanted kids too, and she had four of them, so that worked out. When we first met Randy, we thought he was a good guy. I remember Angela's kids thinking very highly of Randy. They, they said that uh, Randy uh, really accepted them. I mean, he, he welcomed them into the home. My mom and Randy were dating for like six months, and then they told us that we were all moving to a house together. He bought this beautiful home for her and her children. It's a safe neighborhood. I mean, you have several police officers living in the area. There was a state trooper that lived in the cul-de-sac behind them and another officer that lived up the street. Then, on July 4th, 2001, less than a year after the couple had met, Angela made an announcement. My mom told us she was pregnant. Randy really wanted kids, so he was really excited. When she was pregnant, he would do random stuff, like he'd go at like random times in the morning to get her food. The couple married in late September, and a few months later, they welcomed their daughter, Allison. Allison was just the true love of his life. He just loved her with every part of his being. It was all about their daughter, Allison, and uh, Randy was a great father. Um, you know, Angela was the, the loving housewife. They'd all sit out on the porch, even the kids that Angela had with her ex, they would all sit out on the porch and just talk, hang out. That was kind of Randy's way of saying, you know, you're a part of our family by him just incorporating us in everything that he did. By 2005, Angela's kids had almost flown the nest. 20-year-old Lisa Marie and 18-year-old Kristen were starting families of their own, and 18-year-old Claude was planning on joining the Marines. Randy seemed to think very highly of the kids, and they liked that they had that security with Randy. He would have done anything for them, and I think they knew that. Meanwhile, Randy was working towards retirement at Boeing, and as Allison got ready for kindergarten, Angela was dipping her toe back in the workforce, taking a job at a local warehouse. It seemed to blend all really well. The kids were always there and a part of the family. They seemed to be happy. 
All the joy and happiness the Fergusons seem to have make Randy's sudden disappearance on March 22nd all the more disturbing. I called his cell phone, and it went straight to voicemail. And my heart sunk from that moment because Randy's phone was never off, ever. You're just like having an outer body experience because you just can't believe this is going on because he would never do this. He would never just leave. Coming up, investigators look to Angela for answers. I said, please come home. And he said, he'll be home in a little while. And while the search for Randy continues, investigators make a disturbing discovery. A morning commuter saw this exhaust coming up off the side of the road. The car's running, no one's in it. In March 2006, after four and a half years of marriage, Angela and Randy Ferguson seemed to have everything. A healthy marriage, a happily blended family, and a beautiful four-year-old daughter, Allison. They lived in a very nice neighborhood. They had a, a nice home. It seemed like from the outside looking in, a good family. People can see themselves living that life, living that life of Randy Ferguson and Angela Ferguson. Then, on March 23, 2006, 39-year-old Angela Ferguson reported Randy missing. Determined to unravel this mystery, Pierce County Sheriff's deputies sit down with Angela to get more details about the night that Randy disappeared. She indicated that they had had an argument on March 22nd of 2006. Allison had had lice again. That's why he was pissed. He saw it when she was getting in his car. And I was bitching at him and hollering at him. And he said he was going to leave. And I told him to go ahead. And then he left. You told us he did call after he left Wednesday evening? Once. And what did he say when he called? I said, please come home. And he said, he'll be home in a little while. Struggling to hold back tears, Angela says that the argument was a blip on an otherwise perfect marriage. And she told detectives that they had no issues whatsoever. They had a happy marriage, and she loved him. This is a nice guy, you know. And uh, he was a dedicated uh, worker, dedicated to his family and his daughter, Allison. Angela was a grieving uh, wife, you know, wondering where her husband is. So you guys will look for him? Yeah. Yes. We'll start to contact his other uh, yeah. friends and relatives. They contacted Boeing. They talked to Boeing about what Randy's reputation was there. They weren't made aware of any red flags from work. He'd been there for many years. It was a great job, well-paying job. They couldn't understand what was going on. Meanwhile, Angela and Randy's close-knit family searched the county for any trace of the loving father. Angela called the newsroom where I was working at the Tacoma News Tribune, and she called our tips line wanting us to do a story about her missing husband. Me and my sisters, we went, and we were going to hang up flyers along his work route to Boeing just to see if anybody had seen him. My mom had called me and said, Kristen Randy's missing, and he didn't come home. It was just like you didn't want to believe it because that just don't happen to you. It was just um, hoping that he would come back and hoping that he would be fine. 
Roughly 24 hours after Angela reports her husband missing, sheriff's deputies are called to an area known as Gig Harbor, 30 minutes away from Puyallup. A morning commuter driving to work down the road, a road that he drives every day, saw this exhaust coming up off the side of the road. It's probably a good 15, 20 feet down off the embankment. The car's running, no one's in it. A patrol deputy, the very first thing he's gonna do is just to check to make sure the car's not stolen. That would probably be the most common thing, especially in an area that's kind of off the beaten path. He runs in and comes back. The vehicle had been associated with Randy Ferguson, a missing person. They found several items. They found a bleach bottle that was down there, and they found the faceplate of a stereo system down by the car. However, deputies see no sign of Randy Ferguson. But there is one area they haven't searched, the trunk of Randy's car. They know there's always a possibility of something being in the trunk, but they just think they're looking at a car that was abandoned. The deputy that had arrived initially took the vehicle keys out, opened the trunk. They opened it up, and they have an overwhelming smell of bleach. And at that point, they find Randy in the trunk of the car. I can't imagine what the deputy thought. I think the last thing he was expecting was to find a body in a trunk. The deputy immediately just closed the trunk and requested detectives. Once the car is transported back to the station, Pierce County detectives, CSI agents, and the medical examiner begin processing the evidence. When he was removed from the trunk, we were also now able to identify what appeared to be the manner of death. We had discovered that Randy had not only been shot once, but he'd been shot twice in the head. Once the blood is wiped away from his head and his face, you can clearly see both shots, one to each temple. There was no tie to Randy and Gig Harbor, you know, that, that we knew of. Had no idea why he would be there, why his vehicle would be there. So I think initially we were thinking that some type of robbery or something gone bad, and that's where he was left. However, when the detectives take a closer look at the car, that theory falls apart. There wasn't a lot of blood. A head wound normally would have a lot of blood, and that wasn't so in this case. He'd obviously been cleaned up. He was dressed in blue jeans that had obvious bleach stains on them, and the smell of the bleach, the odor, was very strong. Most robbers wouldn't take the time out to clean a victim. Why would somebody pour bleach on a victim of a hijacking? They don't usually stop and do that. It was you know, fairly obvious that whatever happened to Randy did not happen there. He was killed somewhere else and put in his trunk of his vehicle. There is also the position of Randy's vehicle. The hood of the car was into a tree, but there was very slight damage to the hood of the car, which indicates it wasn't coming down off the roadway at a high rate of speed. It was clear that the car was pushed over instead of driven down. Somebody took a great deal of effort getting this man into the trunk of his car and then abandoning the car and making it look like something that it clearly was not. The evidence certainly spoke to that this wasn't so random. Who would want to kill Randy in such a violent way? It's like a train wreck. You don't want to look at it, but you have no choice, but you do look at it. And it's crazy. On March 25th, investigators arrive at the home of 39-year-old Angela Ferguson to inform her of Randy's death. It was fairly late. She answered the door and uh, wanted to know if we had found Randy yet. We told Angela that we had recovered Randy's body. 
I think hearing it was the worst part when they said, oh, we found his body. It didn't feel like it was real, that he was gone. My mom was crying. She was pounding on the pavement and just made a dramatic, emotional yelling that he was gonna come back. She's telling them, oh, he can't be dead. Pierce County detectives promise Angela that they won't stop until they find out who is responsible. Investigations are about ruling theories out. If it's not a carjacking, what else could it be? Randy was a, a normal, everyday type person. And so it was kind of you know perplexing that uh, you know, we couldn't figure out a motive. Coming up, police begin to hear whispers of marital discord. Angela's neighbors noticed things weren't going right. And a young witness points investigators towards their first suspect. Allison had told Lisa that a bad man shot her dad. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. You hear that? That's the sound of another sale with Shopify, your go-to for selling everywhere, online, in-store, and even on social media. Shopify POS is like the central hub for your retail operation. From payments to inventory, it's all there. Got different gadgets? No worries. Shopify's hardware is adaptable, fitting in just how you do business. Start transforming your retail business with an incredible offer. A trial for just $1 per month at shopify.com slash Wondery. All lowercase. That's shopify.com slash Wondery. Take the leap and upgrade your point of sale solution with Shopify. Visit shopify.com slash Wondery and start your trial today. Bravo's The Real Housewives of New Jersey a little zap, 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 zap. is all new. How is Teresa handling you becoming friends with Melissa? And conflict. That's who you want to associate yourself with? Runs in the family. I really don't want to answer any questions about Teresa. I'm going to have to rethink this. Strap in. You're fully. Don't poke the bear. For a bumpy ride. I see your true colors. You're dirty. Everybody was right about you. In all new The Real Housewives of New Jersey, every Sunday at 8 on Bravo and streaming on Peacock. It's been less than 24 hours since the body of Randy Ferguson was found in the trunk of his car on a remote stretch of highway. Investigators in Pierce County, Washington, have yet to zero in on a suspect. Hoping to get some more information, police ask Angela if their family was having any financial problems. Angela tells police that if there was a problem, she wouldn't know about it. Randy was a little bit controlling with uh, money. If they went shopping somewhere that she would go in and he would uh, kind of follow and just pay at the, at the till. Randy controlled me the household money. She was happy to be a wife. So it seemed to work for them. She didn't make their relationship sound unhappy. Pierce County investigators subpoena Randy's bank records, but it leads them to a dead end. He didn't have debts that were out there, outstanding debts. There weren't any financial issues for him that we were made aware of or that law enforcement uncovered. There is no evidence available of anyone else that wanted to or had any motive to hurt Randy or murder him. Later that same day, March 25th, investigators receive a phone call from several of Angela's neighbors. They say that Angela has just told them the grim news. They were crying when they found out that Randy was dead. They couldn't believe it. She's saying all these things. I love him. I smell him on me. Don't sit in his chair. He's coming back. And you know that they're false. It was like an over-dramatized 
reaction. Angela's neighbors, you know, some of them were fairly close to, to Randy or to her, and they noticed things weren't going right. We'd sit out on summer nights. We'd sit around, drink beer, talk, and have a good time. As time progressed, we would see a lot less of Randy, a lot more of Angela. Whenever there was any kind of family drama, she would air it to everybody. So a lot of people knew what was going on in the house as far as marriage wasn't working. They weren't sleeping together. And she said that uh, she told Randy she wanted a divorce. Several neighbors say that when Randy would leave the house, another man would come to visit. There was a couple of times where she would be seen getting into his car with him uh, and leaving. Neighbors tell detectives that Angela had introduced the man as Lamont, a friend that she had met through work. However, neighbors say that they suspect that Lamont is much more than just a friend. There's a very strong possibility she was having an affair with another man. And uh, now we're wondering if, okay, is this a love triangle gone bad? Is Lamont involved in this somehow? Anytime you're looking at suspects for who would have killed the husband, you're gonna look at the lover. So Lamont was a prime suspect. Before police can track him down, they receive a disturbing phone call from Randy's sister, Lisa Moore. Lisa tells police that she has been taking care of Randy and Angela's daughter, four-year-old Allison, to help out Angela during this difficult time. She didn't want Allison to be around all that, so Lisa came in and got her out of the situation really fast and took really good care of her. However, Lisa states that Allison has been saying some very unsettling things since her father's death. Sometimes I'd write stuff down on napkins or whatever was available because I just found it really odd. She had come into the home crying and said that there was a bad man and a gun. Allison had told Lisa that a bad man shot her dad. The family was very concerned that she may have either witnessed or heard something. Could four-year-old Allison be the key to unmasking the killer's identity? We needed to speak to her. So we took her to our children's center, and she spoke with a professional child interviewer. Allison talked about with the interviewer was that daddy was up in heaven and that a bad person had shot him. But we asked, did she see that? Allison made a statement that she was in bed. Didn't sound like she actually saw anything. While Allison's story isn't enough for police to pinpoint a suspect, it does suggest Randy was murdered in his own home. That's when detectives shift the line of questioning to Angela's paramour, Lamont. And she talked about him being at the house sometimes, but not when dad was there, and that dad wasn't supposed to know that he came there. She used some fantastical language. She did say, it's a secret that I have to eat. I have to eat that secret, and I can't talk to certain people about it, and I can only talk to my mom about it. Allison says that Lamont has always been very nice to her. In fact, Allison says that a few days before her daddy died, Lamont told her another secret just before he left the house. She said that Lamont hugged her and said that he was gonna take care of her and her mother. There was a lot of red flags here about what his role was with the disappearance of Mr. Ferguson. Could Lamont be the person that detectives have been looking for? I think everyone looked at him as being the primary suspect. 
Before Pierce County investigators can bring Lamont in, they receive a call from Claude Waltz III, Angela's ex, and the father of her son, Claude IV. Claude III says that his 19-year-old son has taken Randy's death hard. Claude was supposed to go in the military, and he really looked up to Randy, and Randy really thought a lot of Claude. Suddenly, everything is flipped over on itself, and everything is kind of overwhelming for him. He was definitely scared and dejected. However, Claude III tells investigators that he suspects his son's behavior is more than just grief. Do you think Claude was afraid tonight? Yeah, Claude was really afraid tonight. Could you tell why? Or... He just said he was scared. At one of the points during the conversation with Claude's father, he tells him that Claude makes the statement that snitches belong in ditches. A person that has no information doesn't use the word snitch. When you start talking about snitch, that means, OK, you know something. Do you think he knows something? I think he does, but he says he don't. But I'll find out when I get home. Could Angela's son be a witness to the crime? And could he be convinced to tell his side of the story? Pierce County detectives asked Claude to come down to the station. He was scared. He didn't want to tell us much. Claude knows something. It's clear that Claude knows something. Investigators then ask Claude about his mother's friend, Lamont. I guess my mom and Lamont are boyfriend, girlfriend, friends, whatever. Don't, I don't know. OK. Anything else unusual happened during the week there? Mm-mm. Nothing's normal. Just normal. Is there anything else you want to add to this statement before we end it right now? Mm. Has someone threatened Claude to stay quiet? Or is he trying to protect someone? Investigators aren't sure, so they have no choice but to release Claude back to his father. Coming up, detectives bring Lamont in for questioning. He did confirm that him and Angela were having an affair. And one of Angela's children reveals a jaw-dropping secret. I was sitting there freaking out, and Randy's just laying there like he was sleeping. In 2006, Randy and Angela Ferguson of Puyallup, Washington, looked like they had created a happy and successful blended family. However, after Randy is found shot to death in the trunk of his car, Pierce County Sheriff's detectives discover that Angela has a secret, a boyfriend named Lamont. Lamont was witness to come over to Randy's house and stay the night um, by one of the neighbors. We didn't know what, if any, participation he had in Randy's murder. On March 27, 2006, Pierce County detectives corner Lamont in the parking lot at his work and arrest him for an outstanding warrant. He was pretty forthcoming with law enforcement, that he was willing to answer their questions, he was willing to meet with them. He did confirm that him and Angela were having an affair. They were mutually attracted to each other. Lamont saying they had been together intimately over 15 times and gave the hotel that they went to and things of that nature. It was his impression, his, his belief that him and Angela were then going to move in with each other. Lamont actually moved almost all of his belongings, I believe, into their garage. And you knew that Angela was married to Randy? I knew they were married, but she told me they were going through a divorce. But then she told me that 
they were postponing the divorce for six months and that he was signing the house over to her and the rights of Allison over to her and he was going to pay the house mortgage, the bill, whatever. Okay. And what did you think the living arrangement was going to be when you were there with, was, with Randy? Well, I, didn't, I, I was told he had an apartment. That's what I was told. That's when investigators tell Lamont the truth. Angela and Randy were not going through a divorce, and Randy was still living at the house at the time of his death. He was surprised. He said he had nothing to do with it. He didn't know anything about it. He was forthcoming. It didn't appear like he was trying to cover anything. After their interviews with him, they had a, a pretty strong indication that he was not involved in the murder which left just one person with the opportunity to kill Randy. We're pretty sure that Angela is not the loving wife that uh, she tried to portray herself as. Why would Angela want Randy dead? Why not just get the divorce that she had been talking about with Lamont and her neighbors? To answer these questions, police call Randy's sister, Lisa Moore. Lisa tells investigators that it only took a couple of months for her to regret introducing Randy and Angela. Every time her lips were moving, she was, was lying. But even when it was right in front of him, he, he still just um, would overlook it. Lisa says that after the marriage, Angela's behavior only got worse. She was the head of the household. And if things didn't go her way, she could make life miserable. She was just nasty and mean. And that just wasn't who Randy was. He, he didn't like confrontation at all. He was soft-spoken, and I just think she manipulated him. However, Lisa says that in early 2006, something changed. He had started talking to his family about possibly leaving her, and he was going to fight for custody of Allison. He would call me and say, you know, could you try to find me some lawyers? that had a specialty with getting custody for men. Lisa says that if Randy divorced Angela and got full custody of Allison, then Angela would lose the ability to control Randy and his money. Angela probably felt threatened to the point where she wasn't going to let Randy win. I told them that I thought she was involved. I didn't know how, but I just felt like she was. Pierce County investigators suspect that the answers they need can be found at the Ferguson home. At 1 p.m. on March 28, 2006, Pierce County detectives arrive at Angela's house with Washington State CSI teams and a search warrant that allows them to enter the home without Angela being present. We knew there had to be blood. Yeah, we knew from the injuries, so uh, where is it in the home? While investigators are scouring the house for clues, Detectives finally get a break in the case from an unlikely source, Angela's sister, Ursula. The sister had contacted us, and she told us that Angela had confessed to her, that she had shot her husband, and that her son helped her uh, move the body. Once we had that information, I grabbed a, a patrol deputy, and we went to Claude's house. There wasn't any uh, denying or, or anything like that. Claude uh, confessed to being involved in moving Randy's body. 
Claude says it all started months earlier when his mother approached him asking a favor. She asked me to, like, shoot Randy, like, before. Like, I didn't think she was serious. I thought she was just joking. Claude tells investigators that he found out how serious his mother was on March 22nd, 2006, a night when he happened to be staying at his mother and stepfather's home. Claude said that he could hear them arguing, and Claude says he goes back to sleep. His mother wakes him up, and she's screaming, and she's yelling, and she's frantic, and she's saying that she accidentally shot him. I was sitting there freaking out, and um, my mom, I looked out, and Randy's just laying there like he was sleeping. Was he laying on the floor? No, he was in, he was in a computer chair. What else did you notice about him? that his nose was bleeding. His mom said she needed his help to, to move Randy. And his mom starts telling him he's going to get in trouble for this, too, because he was there. This is his mom asking slash demanding his help. And uh, he, he, you know, he's kind of between a rock and a hard place. My mom had a way of convincing you to do stuff that she wants you to do. So when Randy's shot and my mom's looking at you like, hey, I need you. My brother did what my mom told him to do because that's what we were supposed to do. They get the body to the edge of the stairs, still in the computer chair, and the body goes down the stairs. And then they take the body from down the stairs into the trunk. He followed his mother and took the car to an apartment complex and parked it in a parking lot there. I honestly believe that uh, Claude, while he was telling us this, was remorseful. He liked Randy. He wished this hadn't happened. Pierce County investigators arrest Claude for criminal assistance and radio an update to the CSI teams. I recall calling Detective Sergeant Berg and telling her, OK, this happened upstairs, right in front of the computer desk. She had cleaned up pretty well, because that carpet was almost white. It was a very light, light beige. It wasn't until we just cut the carpet and pulled it back, and then we saw the blood. Everything had been cleaned up, done with peroxide, and she thought that she was going to get away with this. Coming up, detectives talked to Angela to get her side of the story. I think that she was going to use my brother, and I think she was going to try to blame it on him. Will this finger pointing lead to swift justice, or only more pain for a grieving family? March 28, 2006. It's been four days since the discovery of 45-year-old Randy Ferguson. His stepson, 19-year-old Claude, has just confessed to helping his mother, Angela, move Randy's dead body. Pierce County investigators confront Angela while she is shopping at a local pharmacy. They were able to contact her without any, any trouble, and she got into the car willingly and uh, taken back to our headquarters to be interviewed. We confronted Angela. We knew that Randy had been killed with a gun. We knew he'd been shot twice. She said that the first shot was accidental. Angela's story on this whole thing was uh, that her and Randy were arguing. 
and he wasn't taking her seriously. She pulled out a gun and was waving it around. She didn't know what she was going to do with the gun. She never fired a gun before. She said that while she's arguing with Randy, it accidentally goes off. <laughs> Angela says her son took the gun from her and pointed it at his stepfather. She said Claude actually shot him, killing him finally. So who helped you put him in the, in the trunk of the car? Angela confirms that Claude helped her move Randy's body to the car, but she claims that her oldest daughter, 21-year-old Lisa Marie, is the one who picked her up after Angela dumped Randy's car in Gig Harbor. So what was the truth? Had Angela's 19-year-old son fired the final shot that killed Randy Ferguson? Or was Claude simply a pawn? When police bring 21-year-old Lisa Marie Waltz in for questioning, she admits, like her brother, to assisting her mother after the shooting. Do you remember your mother or anybody else throwing things from the vehicle? I just remember going down the street and seeing nothing but trees. There's some statements that she dumped bleach on the body and dumped peroxide on the body. My understanding is everything that the kids did was at the mother's direction, including the cleaning up of the home. She used her children to help her commit a murder and then try to hide the murder. As a parent, you know, I just, I can't believe that. After hearing Lisa Marie's account, detectives feel certain that Angela Ferguson fired the two fatal shots that killed her husband. I don't think Angela did snap. Angela premeditated this murder. This wasn't a split-second decision for her. She planned this. My mom was selfish. When my mom and Randy were talking about divorce, um, he would get Allison, and he told her that he would fight for Allison. And my mom did not want him to get custody of Allison. And she also wanted, um, he had a retirement plan. He had been working at Boeing for a really long time. And she wanted the money when he died. Like her 19-year-old brother, Lisa Marie is charged with rendering criminal assistance. But have police put a stop to Angela's manipulation? Or will her children still suffer the consequences of their mother's actions, especially Angela's son, Claude? You're looking at your mother who's supposed to protect you, and she is throwing him under the bus. Angela is facing a minimum of 20 years behind bars for the murder of her husband, Randy. On October 17, 2007, Angela surprises everyone by pleading guilty to first-degree murder. I think some would like to believe that she did it so that her children wouldn't have to go through a testimony or anything. I think she's a little bit too selfish for that. Angela's actions showed that she didn't put her kids first. If she had put her kids first, she wouldn't have involved them. A judge sentences Angela to 26 years and eight months in prison. For Randy's family and neighbors, that isn't nearly enough time. She took a plea deal. I was angry about that because she's gonna get out way too soon. I think she deserves everything she gets. I think she should stay there. Anybody who's willing to involve your kids doesn't deserve to be 
let out. Claude and Lisa Marie Waltz plead guilty to rendering criminal assistance in November 2007. Under Washington state law, Angela's son and daughter are both given suspended sentences and community service for assisting their mother after the fact. The status of the law at the time that they were charged included that if you rendered criminal assistance and you were a relative, then it's a gross misdemeanor. To this day, they're just walking around in the world, never being held accountable for their horrendous part in my brother's murder. It's just unjust. You go, wow, we need to do something about that. And, and that's exactly what I did. And I fought for almost four years uh, to get Randy's law passed. She was like a bull in the China store when it came to getting what they refer to as Randy's law changed. And now they can be charged with rendering criminal assistance up to 10 years in prison. Even with a new statute on the books, Lisa Moore says she can't forget the terrible tragedy that Angela brought into her family's life. I feel like I fed him to her on a silver platter. My brother was a good person and he didn't deserve any of this. Allison no longer has a father. She no longer has a mother. There's just really no excuse for this. It's just cruel. And it hurts so many people. My mom, I mean, I just feel like, like you weren't worth it. What value do you have if, if your mom could kill somebody and, and hope that you take the blame for it? Angela is just an evil person. I don't really know how else to describe her. In 2010, Angela filed formal documents accusing her son, Claus, of murdering Randy. Despite a guilty plea, she maintains her innocence. Angela will be released in 2032. She will be in her mid-60s. Allison, now 19 years old, was raised by her aunt, Lisa. For more information on Snapped, go to Oxygen.com. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window. Comes a reality competition show about reality competition shows. Nobody has dared to find out who is the actual best at just being on a reality show. I'm your host, comedian Daniel Tosh. It's winner go home. Each episode, our contestants will face new challenges that will test their strength and lack of life skills for a chance to win $200 million. Thousands, not millions. $200,000. Because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting. Tasha, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites. I have diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into? The GOAT, premiering on Freebie and Prime Video on May 9th. 